Today's podcast focuses on advances in data center cooling. We're going to hear again from John Fluger, who leads the power and cooling initiatives at Dell. You've asserted that cooling efficiency is a trend. Why are we seeing this kind of trend in the industry, and why are people paying attention to this? As we mentioned in the first podcast, there are four high-level issues that drive companies' interest in power consumption. The first being cost of power, the second one being availability of power, the third being the presence of hot spots within their data center, and the fourth being a desire to stay in existing facilities as long as possible. With respect to cooling architecture, at the surface, it's the latter two that are the most important, the ones that really trigger action or, or trigger work on behalf of data center owners and managers. They've got obvious hotspot problems within their data center, or they're trying to figure out how to stay within an existing facility. In a related note as well, in general, capacity plans, trying to make sure that they can provide the compute resources that are going to be needed for the business as their business grows. One of the things that we've also found really is we've poured into where power goes in the data center at kind of that top level. The big draws of power in the data center, the cooling equipment is is one of the biggest. A lot of the reason why you're not able to deliver any more than about 35, 40, 45 percent of the incoming power to your IT equipment is because you need a big chunk of power to drive your cooling equipment. It can be 30 to 40 percent. It can be 50 percent. It can be, in some cases, even greater than 50 percent of your total facility input is used to drive your air conditioners, humidifiers, other cooling-related equipment. These are really important issues. So what are IT managers doing about them? There are a few high-level strategies they're investigating. Actually, we see a lot of really interesting user-driven innovation within data centers. It's almost like a data center version of a duct tape and chicken wire approach to solving these sorts of problems. That may sound a little bad, but in actuality, the sorts of solutions people are coming up with are quite inventive and in some cases very effective at enabling some good-sized gains in terms of cooling capacity. Other things we're seeing is that data center owners and managers are far more willing to look at some of the advanced cooling products that are now on the market, even looking at some of the technologies that are emerging with respect to cooling systems. Last, they're looking more at what's going on at the facility level. Over and above the specific products, what are we doing within our facility to manage cooling? Let's talk about some of the advanced cooling strategies and technologies that you're seeing. They tend to be driven by need, and in this case, need is how many kilowatts of IT equipment am, am I trying to fit within a rack? So you find that the strategies are pretty much tied to these different levels. Most data center owners and operators out there, most data centers are managing to something under four to five kilowatts per rack. You know, five kilowatts per rack for a lot of folks is actually pretty dense. When you're looking at those power levels, you can supply enough cool air to those racks with a fairly normal type raised floor, you know, 18-inch, 24-inch deep raised floor, kind of a standard architecture of commissioning cracks, computer room air conditioners around the perimeter of your facility, in some cases locating some of these air conditioners in the center of facility, kind of a best practice hot aisle, cold aisle type of configuration. That'll get you, with some effort, that three, four, five kilowatt per rack range. If you want to go up above 5 kilowatts per rack, then you may need to do a little bit more work with your raised floor 
you might need a deeper raised floor. You know, 36 inches is, is not uncommon in some situations. We've even seen some that are a little deeper than 36 inches. You might pay particular attention or special attention to what's going on underneath the raised floor in terms of where you route cables, how you direct airflow. You might pay particular attention to perforated tiles, in some cases using graded tiles to increase airflow. So with an advanced raised floor architecture, you're going to be able to get yourself up around 8 kilowatts per rack, maybe maybe a little further. And by the way, there are counterexamples to all of this. There are people who have gone to extremes and can do even better. These are general guidelines. In general, if you're going to go above 8 kilowatts per rack, now you're talking about bringing supplemental cooling in closer to your racks. And these are, are smaller air conditioners that would either mount on top of racks or would mount in between racks, kind of called in-row cooling. These products tend to run off of either refrigerant or chilled water. And when you need to move to supplemental cooling, you're now also making an additional step within your data center, which is saying, I'm now willing to bring refrigerant or chilled water into the rack level. These products are able to get you to at least 15 kilowatts per rack. There are some indications as well that if you use multiple units of this type, you can go up even above 15 kilowatts per rack. After you get above 15, 20, 25 kilowatts a rack, though, now you're in the realm of enclosed cooling, where you've got racks with closed front doors and closed rear doors, units either inside the rack or alongside the rack that just blow cold air to the front faces of the equipment inside the rack. You've got a self-contained system. Now, at this point, we haven't broached the chassis. We haven't tried to bring refrigerant or fluid into the server, but that's the next step. Is that the uh, chilled water or refrigerant of some kind actually going directly in? That's where you're going to bring chilled water or refrigerant directly into the servers. You see a lot of talk now about liquid cooling in the consumer space, right? Let's, let's put cold plates on computer chips, overclock them, really kind of crank up the performance. There's a whole hobbyist industry out there, an entire hobbyist community on just how far they can push these. Uh, we also, a few months back, announced Dell's first product in this space, the uh, 720H2C, where we combined liquid cooling and thermoelectric coolers. When you do that, you can handle some high-density numbers, 40, 50, uh, even 60 kilowatts per rack. But that requires you to make another leap, which is a willingness to actually provide not only signal and power to your systems, but plumbing as well. So we see these different levels, and the different levels drive the different technology. You can match that with kind of what's going on with the server space in terms of server power. Two U's. If I put an entire rack of two U's in place... I'm going to push that limit. In some situations, I'm going to push that limit of 4 to 5 kilowatts per rack. So you can kind of say, all right, raised floor architecture, it's really most appropriate if I'm going to start commissioning a lot of two U's. If I want to commission one U's, and if I want entire racks of one U's as opposed to half racks of one U's, then I'm talking supplemental cooling because that's uh, an entire rack of one U's, you know, 42 systems with... Uh, you know, maybe two or 300 watts of power a piece. You know, 42 one-use systems can actually get up to the point where, where you want to provide some supplemental cooling. If you're talking blades, now with several thousand watts of power per blade chassis, you can actually reach a point 
where one blade chassis requires the total amount of air that it's possible to move through a perforated tile. So you have to provide some supplemental cooling if you're going to have mostly filled or completely filled racks with blade chassis. The other products, you know, as you're talking about the enclosed racks and the embedded cooling, that's embedded cooling where we're going to put cold plates in, bring refrigerant or chilled water into the systems. Those are going to be for kind of special needs cases where you've really got to crank up the density and deal with some of these very high-density situations. At the moment with Dell products, you know, we don't go any denser than our current blades, and so there's really not much of a need to look. For our products, there's not much of a need to look at over, you know, say 25 kilowatts. What kinds of trends are you seeing at the facility level? As I mentioned a few moments back, we do see a lot of user-driven innovation, fairly low-tech solutions and answers to increasing capacity. Those are really important. They work really well. At the same time, we're seeing very similar approaches and and very similar pieces of work to what we have found in system thermals. Going back a few years, before components were tens of watts and in some cases hundreds of watts, you didn't even need fans. The components might spit out a few watts. They'd be able to get rid of the heat by themselves, and you're okay. Components got a little hotter. All of a sudden, you needed fans to push the air through. Okay, then that worked. Components got a little hotter, and now we had to start becoming a little more sophisticated as to how we managed thermals in our boxes. We'd start looking at at some more complicated analyses, directed air flows. As things got even hotter, we started bringing some harder core tools to the problem. Computational fluid dynamics, CFD tools, really looking at what's going on inside the box. And as I mentioned before, in some cases, people even are now looking at how you go about more directly cooling some of these packages with some of the liquid cooling techniques. Well, we see the same thing at the data center level. Years back, the systems were relatively cool. You could rely upon the kind of natural airflow within your facility to provide enough cooling. And then you had to start paying a little bit more attention. You know, maybe we had to pay a little bit more attention to the air conditioning. Well, now uh, computational fluid dynamics in data centers is becoming fairly widespread and fairly routine, really understanding what's going on with the thermals inside a data center. And the next step beyond that is really having a lot more data as to what's going on in the data center and, and figuring out strategies as to how you handle this data. Now, we have seen some solutions out there that kind of look at this facility at, at the whole level and, and maybe attempt some broad closed-loop control of the entire facility. I think that may have its place, but I also think we're going to find very quickly, as more and more facilities implement, experiment with some of these supplemental cooling products, they're going to find that the options available within these products are such that that, a lot of that closed-loop control is taken care of automatically. Last, one of the trends that we're seeing an awful lot of interest in, and specifically a lot of interest in Europe, is fresh air cooling. I mean, it takes a lot of power, it takes a lot of energy to cool this air down and provide it to servers. If you're in the right physical location, if your data center has been commissioned in the right place with the right environment, one of the opportunities open to you is to bring some of the fresh air, relatively cool air in from outside directly in and use that. Even here in Austin, you know, there might be times during the summer when you can't do that, but we have an awful lot of time during the year when it's 70 degrees outside. That's 
perfectly good air temperature for a lot of our systems. Now that brings with it some other issues. It brings with it issues about how clean that air is, you know, in terms of what other particles are floating around into it. It also brings up some big issues around humidity because you want to be careful about the the humidity of the air you provide to your servers. But this is an area where a lot of people are looking in for potential energy savings. Are there other reasons in addition to just cooling that people should be looking at these technologies? Yes. Now, in many cases, the trigger for this are experiencing hot spots within your data center. But we're seeing a couple of other drivers. One, as I mentioned at the very beginning, is the whole idea of energy efficiency in the data center. There is some evidence fairly far apart, and I think it's going to get better over the next couple of years, that the closer you bring the cooling to the systems, the more effective that cooling is. And one way of measuring this is in something called the coefficient of performance. How much power do I need to apply to my cooling products in order to get rid of the heat load that I'm trying to get rid of? So the anecdotal evidence is that that coefficient of performance is better the closer you bring the conditioners in. That would seem to suggest that some of the supplemental cooling products are going to provide efficiency gains in the data center. It would seem as though modular cooling would also make it a lot easier to scale out your data center in a sort of an incremental way. Jeff, you're absolutely right. The traditional approach, these big air conditioners on the perimeter of the data center, you know, it tends to be a fairly small number of units compared to the number of servers in there. And you're adding a lot of capacity at once. And when you add that much capacity at once, it's going to be a little bit of time before you use it. So you're paying for stuff that you're not able to make use of. You're also frequently forced to operate this stuff off of its peak efficiency point. So now you're burning a little bit more power. By looking at some of these supplemental cooling products, you're adding smaller amounts of capacity more frequently. And it really allows you to implement the pay-as-you-grow approach, adding just that capacity you need for that point in time. A lot of these new technologies sound great, but are there any pitfalls or things that data center managers should be aware of? There are a couple of areas that need special attention. One of them is cost. I'm not trying to be funny here, but all the numbers are not in yet as to whether or not some of these approaches are cost-effective. Certainly as we go up in level of sophistication of cooling technology, you know, you go up past the supplemental cooling products to some of the enclosed racks and particularly the racks with embedded cooling, the costs to both purchase the technology and the cost to implement this technology go up. And there's going to be a lot of careful work that's going to have to be done to make sure that those costs are recovered within a reasonable payback time for the data center owners and managers. So that's something that you've got to be careful about when you're considering this. A second issue, and really it can't be overstated, is the importance of availability in the data center. I love the cooling technology, love playing around with it, love the opportunities that are afforded to us by these new products. But at the end of the day, availability is still king. You can't affect the availability of the data center. As you look at some of these technologies like enclosed racks and embedded cooling, you now have the potential to have the cooling resources available to a set of systems all go down at once, right? When you're looking at cracks, you have this kind of common resource, and if you lose one air conditioner, you've got enough capacity there for the rest of the environment. As you bring in more cooling units and, and closer to the systems, we're going to have to pay attention to what are the consequences of having one of these air conditioners go down. Another thing that exacerbates this is that as systems get hotter and hotter and you go to denser and denser systems, 
If your cooling disappears, they get hotter much quicker. If you're dealing with a 5-kilowatt rack and you lose your cooling, you've got 5 kilowatts of heat that's being generated. If you're dealing with a 30-kilowatt rack that loses its cooling, you're now dealing with 30 kilowatts of heat that has to be moved. And so these systems can heat up very quickly. You've got to be very careful to make sure that you have enough ride-through in your cooling architecture to take care of you in the event one of these things goes down. In the end, though, it's all about efficiency and productivity as long as availability is not compromised. If you can demonstrate that this is a more efficient way to run your data center, you know, with respect to the amount of power you're consuming and the cost of computing for you, uh, you can demonstrate that you're able to be more productive and you can demonstrate that you can do it without a hit to availability, you ought to seriously consider some of these other alternatives. Another issue with these technologies is that after you go kind of above the normal raised floor levels, after you're above 8 kilowatts or so per rack, the products require you to bring either refrigerant or chilled water into the racks. I alluded to this before. Now, years ago, this wouldn't have been an issue because we had water-cooled mainframes and people were a little more comfortable about it, but we got away from that. We didn't need to bring these products into every corner of the data center. Well, as you're increasing your cooling capacity, you've got to consider that again. And that means that now you've got to pay a little bit more attention to plumbing. You've got to pay a little bit more attention to the risks associated with bringing these products into the rack. What would you recommend to our listeners if they're thinking about or in the middle of decisions about these kinds of issues? Like many other questions, the answer is it depends. (laughs) The main thing it depends on, though, is what sort of situation the data center owner or manager faces. If you're looking at building a new facility, you're going to be considering a wholly different set of topics than if you're looking at retrofitting or expanding an existing facility. If you're looking at retrofitting or expanding an existing facility, you need to pay careful attention to kind of what what your goals are for density per rack. Probably not attempt to overshoot. You know, make sure that the next step you make in terms of your facility is one with which you're comfortable. So if you're going from 8 kilowatts per rack, maybe you can consider going to 15 kilowatts per rack. If you're starting at 3 or 4 kilowatts per rack, maybe you can look at getting up to 8 kilowatts per rack. Be aware that that your legacy equipment, your legacy facility, your legacy building do have some constraints. I'm sure this isn't going to be new news to any of the owners, managers out there. If you're looking at constructing a new facility... We'd recommend just a little bit more attention to cooling architecture up front. We understand that these are going to be major decisions that are made up front, but frequently we see companies making decisions about density levels and then finding the cooling architecture that matches that density level. I think it is important to have some general idea of what the density level of product is that you're looking at for a new facility. But given that, find a cooling architecture that works for you, that is going to fit your general requirements, then go back and say, given that this is the sort of cooling architecture that we're going to put in place, what are the real population limits? You know, what are the real configurations of servers that we're looking at to fit in that space? So after you look at your cooling architecture, wait to finalize your decisions on kind of typical server population until after you've set your cooling architecture in place and after you've determined what your wattage limits are going to be. This is the third in a series about power and cooling management. So what are we going to talk about in the next one? This time around, we focused on cooling architecture, what's going on with cooling technologies, cooling approaches, and 
really we touched on it, the increasing level of modularity that you're seeing in this. The next time around, Jeff, I think what we should do is focus on power. You know, what are people looking at in terms of power distribution architectures? You know, what are some of the products that are available now and what are some of the trends we're seeing there, as well as maybe a brief discussion as to what we're seeing with respect to modularity in power distribution architectures. Thanks a lot, John. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much, Jeff. If our listeners would like more information, please go to dell.com slash energy. And join us again next week for the next edition of Data Center of the Future podcast series. Thank you.